Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're on episode 140. It is um, July 22nd. My name is Tyler. As always, we have Pratik and Nick here as well. Um, please, everyone that's listening, follow, share the podcast. Really appreciate it. Just share it with your friends. Like we said, we want to get this podcast out, especially here during election season. So to begin, Pratik, what's going on with the Democrats? So old is gold. Biden is Democrats. So basically, we looked at a primary poll that took place recently. It was a premise poll, which looked at what would happen if Biden was not the nominee of the Democratic Party or if Biden did not run. So it had very interesting results. So what it showed was Kamala Harris was number one at 17%, followed by Hillary Clinton at 15%, Bernie Sanders at 13%, Gavin Newsom at 11%, Pete Buttigieg at 7%, Kennedy at 6%, that's Kennedy's RFK, um, Warren, Elizabeth Warren was at 6%, Ocasio-Cortez, aka AOC, was at 5%, followed by Abrams at 4%, Klobuchar at 2%, Pritzker at 2%, and Marianne Williamson at 1%. So what I found crazy about this is that without Biden, there is no clear frontrunner. Nobody knows who is even able to lead the Democrats. There's so many names out there that are like random. There's even people like Stacey Abrams that people think are gonna become, should, should become president at 4%. So there's not even a clear frontrunner to even be around 20%, which is interesting because that's the power that Biden actually has. People always undervalue Biden. People are always saying that, you know, Biden is like out of touch. He's not there. He's too old. How is he gonna become president? Why should he become president? But if you take out Biden, literally there is no one that can lead the Democrats according to these polls. It's just like, they don't know. Like, I think I've even seen some polls that have Michelle Obama. When they throw Michelle Obama in, she's better than all these other people that are actually politicians. So, like, this is an interesting story to me. Nick and Tyler, do you got any thoughts on Biden being the Democrats? Well, I mean, we've, we've been talking about this before, but, you know, Biden, everyone is able to coalesce around Biden because he's tapioca. Um, he's, he's as bland as can be, and everyone can kind of be okay with him. Um, apart from that, though, Look, this is the same trend that we've been seeing. If Biden's not there, it's chaos in the Democratic field, which they don't like. They like to kind of consolidate around one person. And without Biden, that's going to be really difficult. I think these polls echo that. And they have been saying that for a long time now. It really is up to Biden. Are you going to be able to really maintain your health, I guess, during this next election? It's going to take a lot out of him. He misspeaks a lot for sure. But at the same time, Look, if he's falling constantly, I think people are going to start to take notice eventually. There's only so much leeway you can give the man, um, even if you are a Democrat. If he's actually losing it, if he actually is just not competent enough, I think that would be the only way they don't put Biden up front. But apart from that, look, we're looking at the, the poll numbers and it's either Biden or bust. Yeah, so speaking of the poll numbers, you saw Williamson or Pratik, you said Marianne Williamson was polling at 1% if you opened up the fields. You know, I, I personally like that a lot. I mean, last time when you had 20 Democrats running, uh, she was at the bottom of the pack as well. And it just goes to show that, like, yeah, when you have fewer options, some of these fringe candidates will have a little bit more support in the polls. Right now, I think when you run Biden, RFK, and Marianne Williamson, Marianne Williamson will pull higher than 1%. And yet if she's you like open it 10. up to Hillary Clinton, to, no way, dude, no way she's at 10. I mean, we yeah, can she's double at 10. check this, but we seriously, there's it's no, like there's 10, no way. It's like 10, 16, and 30. Or not thirst, 10, 16, and 60. That's genuinely insane to me. But in any yeah. case, I wanted to say, like, if you open it up to Buttigieg, uh, Elizabeth Warren, like, all, all these other people, you know, she just drops down to 1% and she 
a lot taken a lot less seriously than she already is, which is saying a lot. Um, on the Stacey Abrams side, yeah, I mean, I've said this on the show before. I think Stacey Abrams in a blue state would be a good candidate. However, she's running in a red state. And in order to kind of make your lane and really make a name for yourself, like, for example, Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke running in Texas over and over again and losing every time. It's not a good look. And when you're running for the presidency, it's expected that whatever state you're representing, you win and you bring it into the party's fold. For example, for Democrats, they really care about North Carolina next election cycle. If they had a Democrat from North Carolina as the nominee, maybe it would be good. Um, and Pratik, I see you're raising your hand here, so stop me before I get too far. But basically, Stacey Abrams here, um, I, I don't think she would have a shot in hell. Uh, same thing with Better O'Rourke. Same thing with all these other people who run in red states, lose every time. And yet in the national zeitgeist, they're sort of seen as like the next generation of Democrat when they can't even win their own state, which to be fair, if they were running in a blue state, I do think they would be strong candidates. But being realistic, like when you're running for the presidency, if you're running as a like career politician, quote unquote, you need to have some wins first. And if you don't have anything, you know, and it's a total long shot. Uh, I just don't see how they would end up doing well. So one thing I wanted to add, I did misspeak. Marianne Williamson was 5%, not 10%. So Nick is correct. And then Kennedy is at 16% and Biden's at 60% when polled between the three. But even in that number, there's a 44% you know margin of error where tr Biden is ahead, right? But it's like there is still like a large bracket of people that don't know who to support. That's True. the crazy thing about this. And usually, you know, like me and Nick have talked about this before. Whenever you are a front runner, whenever you are an incumbent president, that is actually kind of crazy whenever you only have around 60% in polling when you are like the president that is in power at the moment. Which, that's crazy how, like, Democrats just don't want to really pull in people. And there was another poll that was a t tip insights poll. Never really heard of these people, but it polled, like, Biden with all these other people. Where it had Michelle Obama at 9% compared to Biden at 36%. And then it had Bernie Sanders at 8%, Kamala Harris at 7%, and Buttigieg at 5%. And Hillary Clinton at 4%. I find that to be interesting just because like, you know, RFK is not even on that list. Like RFK is like number six, but RFK is getting a lot of fundraising. He's up in the polls just because there is no other real option against Biden. Like in all, in all honesty, we talk about RFK too, but RFK literally sounds like a really awful speaker. Like, even though there's other issues, like, sure, I get it. There's other problems that he may have, but he does the sound like problems, a chain yeah. smoker running for president. <laughs> and like, God. even though there's not a lot of hit against him if he does have actual health conditions, but having poor health conditions is not an excuse whenever you're running for president. Like, oh, we could talk gosh, about Biden see. all day. No, but see, we complain about Biden. I don't know Biden. if it's not an excuse, but the thing is RFK, <laughs> like you're saying, most voters, yeah. if you don't know that RFK has a health condition and if you don't sympathize with that and you just hear him talk, you're like, oh my God. God, who is this frog that's croaking? And just <laughs> it it is true, but I think exposure does help with that a little bit. Like when I that's was true. able to listen to some of his more long form conversations, he is pretty eloquent and you really do have to get over that fact. And I, I said it before as well. It's like, yeah, the, the regular voter, when they hear that, they're like, no way this guy is going to be my president. I don't want a guy that speaks like this to be president at all. But Pratik, I do have to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think yeah. it's surprising at all that Biden, you know, has 60% here because he was always a bust. He was trying to bust Trump. 
Like, that was his whole purpose. It was never, we need to elect Biden because Biden's great. It's we need someone that can beat Trump. And that's why he got elected in the first place. And, and that's why people are tepidly supporting him. And like, he only has 60%, but I'm pretty sure people would coalesce around him at the end of the day. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, just go, oh, we all need to jump on the RFK train. You know, I don't see that happening. See, but as I said, I think the problem with all that stuff, too, is like that same situation and equation still exists today. Like, the only reason why Biden is number one is because Trump is running, but Trump is still going to be the front runner of the Republican Party unless RDS somehow, like, you know, shakes up the world. Exactly. Because he's the only real other option. So, so that's like, why the 60% this, doesn't even matter, because, like, he is the only option when Trump wins. That but, is fair. But, but we did but just hear that Trump has to go to court, I guess, in May for all, for all this stuff. So maybe that will change something. But apart from that, I don't see anything. Changing. I think that Trump's still going to be the nominee. If anything, when you put Trump in court and whenever you give him more news coverage, even when the debates happen, Trump's going to go up. This is like the bottom of the poll for Trump. I think Trump's going to go up even higher in the Republican Party primary polls. There's more and more exposure that he gets because literally everything that anybody ever talks about is about Trump. When the Democrats have their own primary, all they're going to talk about is Trump too. They're not going to talk about Biden. They're not going to be like oh man biden you had such a terrible presidency because they also if if rfk somehow pulls it through the ranks and somehow wins the nomination which is like one percent chance if less than that if something like that happens he's not gonna start trashing biden because he still needs the people that are supporting biden to go support him but on the flip side with trump like there's there's people that are anti-trump and then there's people that are pro-Trump. The pro-Trump side is already at 60%. The anti-Trump side just want, there's like a mix of all those people. There's people that don't want Trump because they're like, oh man, he already ran and he lost and now he might run again and he might lose again. You got that train. You also have the people that are just like, we just can't stand Trump. We want anybody else, but we're going to vote Republican in the end of the day anyway. Because if they didn't, then they wouldn't vote, right? And then the other side with the Trumps, what the anti-Trump train would be, oh, well, we like Ron DeSantis more because Ron DeSantis is a brand new candidate. He looks more presidential. He sounds more presidential. Trump's kind of like old now. We just want somebody new. But whenever all those other people get washed out, majority of all that train, I'd probably say around 80% will back Trump whenever there's literally nobody else standing anymore, apart from like, you know, him and somebody else. Like, I do think RDS will should be there for the long haul, if RDS's campaign is smart. But even then, like all these other candidates, they don't even have enough fundraising money to even stick in the race for that long. So like, if you compare all these people, Trump is still at the top on that end. While in order to combat that, Democrats don't have any options. Like, I honestly believe there is no Democrat in this country that can beat Trump apart from Biden. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm like, I don't think Democrats are even willing to take that chance. I think the DNC is not willing to put up somebody else with the theory that, oh man, this guy might be Trump. Because if they did have that idea, then somebody else would be running right now. If they believe Gavin Newsom is the future of the country, then they would be running Gavin Newsom. If they believed Biden is too old and they're like, we need Kamala Harris to be the president because she's the number one at all the other options, Kamala Harris would be running for president. But because they don't believe that, I would argue is just they all, even the Democrats, the DNC also argues that nobody else in this country right now can beat Trump apart from Biden. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm willing to take that chance because Democrats don't have anybody else running apart from RFK and Williamson. So to summate what all of what Pratik just said, Biden and Trump is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Nick? 
I mean, I hope they're not inevitable. It's still early on. And if you look back to 2008, for example, I know this is totally different because we're running two incumbents now, and I don't think that's been seen for quite some time. But for uh, 2008, the Iowa caucuses, Barack Obama, 38%, Hillary Clinton, 30%. Um, Joe Biden was down at 1% that year. And then eight years later, or rather 12 years later, he becomes the president. Um, Iowa Republican caucus, Mike Huckabee, 34%, Mitt Romney, 25 all the way down towards the bottom, Rudy Giuliani at 4%, Duncan Hunter 1%. You know, it's so funny to me that like Rudy Giuliani and Joe Biden both ended up being more relevant around the same time. And meanwhile, they were polling like pretty low as far as the national stuff. And granted, they were both figures before Giuliani well, he became VP. And, I mean, that certainly helped yeah. uh, Biden out in terms of popularity. No, that's that's true. But um, and I guess that goes. What I was going to say is that if Joe Biden wasn't running, I think Kamala Harris would decide to run again. And I think purely by being the VP, even though her poll numbers last time, like she was doing well in the very beginning. But I think like you guys are saying, if Joe Biden's in the race, like, look, it's going to be Biden versus Trump and that's just going to suck. Yeah, (laughs) I would also hate to see Harris like I I honestly I really don't like her. I, I, I would hate to see that. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people would be excited for but they would coalesce Kamala her. or yeah. for eh, that's true they end up coalescing but to be fair both parties do coalesce when it comes time to like actually vote and decide he might be able to be republicans Trump. or democrats <laughs> gonna win but what i wanted to bring into the conversation is just like for example if you were the dnc or if you were a democrat which i guess i guess you're not but pratique let's say that trump was still president and a bunch of people decided let's primary trump let's see how it goes Do you think that would help the Republicans or hurt them in the general election? You know, say, like, take Trump as a candidate out of it, take Biden as a candidate out of it, purely just focus on if you are the political party who has the presidency, who's in power, and you get primaried for whoever is currently the president, through the primary process, your opponents are going to have to attack you and point to your administration as being bad. And if anything, I think if more Democrats actually said, you know what, let's challenge Joe Biden— I think it would be worse for the Democrats as a brand overall because you would all have all these people say, oh, what's Joe Biden weak on? If Democrats start saying Joe Biden is weak on the economy, he's weak on this, he's weak on that, that's bad for Democrats. The same way that for Republicans, like you have to coalesce at a certain point. And yes, you can attack Trump all day, but at the same time, you have to ultimately say this is why the Democrats are bad and you should vote Republican. If the Democrats run a bunch of primary candidates, it would all look like, oh, Joe Biden sucks. Everything about this administration sucks. But, you know, you should still vote for us because we're less bad <laughs> than the Republicans. Like, there's no winning message there of momentum. I think you got a lot of good points. But what I would say is it also depends on the person that's there. Like, I think if Trump if Trump was on the Democratic side, then it would be a different equation. I just think that Trump has an ability to try to garner people's votes and has the ability to sell himself much better than many other candidates have been able to do in the past. I think like Joe Biden reminds me of somebody like my favorite candidate, Jeb Bush in the past. And Jeb Bush would also be seen as somebody that's more of a pushover. I think the question is how much of a pushover would Biden be if somebody was to attack him directly on all these different topics? Now, I will say one thing in Joe Biden's credit. 
whenever he was running in his primaries he was the one he was the focal point of the attention there were everybody was attacking joe biden because joe biden wasn't left enough he wasn't progressive enough he didn't take strong stands on a lot of these big issues like medicare for all he was being criticized on climate change he was the focal point of attention and i guess what joe biden did was joe biden did enough to try to still win all these people. And a lot of these people did transfer to Joe Biden, hence he won the general election because most of the Democrats did transfer to him. So I do think that a lot of your points I would agree with, but it's just the question is how much, how below the belt do you hit? But also who is the person there? I think with the Republican side, like even if Trump is attacked left and right by all these people, if anything, this helps Trump because Trump's gonna have more media attention. Whether or not people like Trump or don't like Trump, they do see Trump as a bully that can stick it to whoever he's running against because that's what Trump does best. So I think all of those things look like positive attributes. When somebody attacks Trump and Trump's able to give him a response or her a response, that benefits Trump in the long run. The question mark is just that, does Joe Biden have that same pedigree? And I do not know that. Like maybe... But at the same time, like, I would argue that the longer Trump is in this race, the more and more Trump gets talked about. If anything, maybe he even has a better chance at the general than I even assume, because I still think Joe Biden has a little bit of a higher chance than Trump. But I still think that Trump is not in office right now, so that could be in his benefit. Because if anything, if you attack Trump enough and you put Trump enough in the news media highlights, whether or not, literally, if Trump goes to this court case and he is like being tried, that's only going to benefit Trump. It's not going to hurt Trump in any way whatsoever. If he Trump doesn't show up to the debates, that's going to benefit Trump too. Even if Trump shows up to the debates, that's probably going to benefit him as well. Like every, every ounce and way you look at it, it's benefiting Trump. So I just think that the same may apply to Biden. I don't know. But at the same time, like Biden did do well against 26 different options and him being bland, boring, even back then in the 2020 primary didn't stop him from winning. And if anything, like it actually made Biden stand out because at least he was taking all the criticism and is doing his best to try to respond back. So I don't know. That's my no, thoughts. Points. Maybe I'm and wrong, though. No, just the final thing I wanted to say on that is for Biden, I think the only way the Democrats would win is like someone another democrat winning the presidency this time is if joe biden just drops out i think if you had an actual primary where they had to go up and argue with each other i think the democrats are going to lose handedly but i think if joe biden just decides hey i'm not going to run anymore and like we've been saying like everyone's been saying the only reason he's running is because donald trump is running if trump wasn't running joe biden would not be running but that's the world we live in tyler yeah. take us away well, let's just uh, just mention the Republican polls because we kind of just talked about basically the Republicans and Dem Democrats. So on the latest Republican polls, we have, um, well, first we got that awesome headline, GOP polling quick update, Trump trumps the competition. So we have uh, Trump at 55%, DeSantis at 20%, uh, Ramaswamy at 8%, Pence at 7%, Haley at 4%, uh, Scott at 3%, Christie at 2%, Hutchinson, Burgum, Suarez, and Hurd all at 0% here. So any quick thoughts on that before we move on to RFK? I think um, the crazy thing to me is how much Ramaswamy has come up in the polls. Like, there's Ramaswamy was somebody that nobody really thought would be the, go this far if anything it's even crazy that ramaswamy and haley both being indians haley ramaswamy has a higher edge over even nikki haley 
And Nikki Haley, for all it's worth, is much, was much more well-known than Ramaswamy before she entered the race. Everybody knows who Nikki Haley is. There was a lot of people that probably didn't know who Vivek Ramaswamy was. So that's actually interesting how, like, Ramaswamy, despite being, like, the only person in this race that probably no one had ever heard about, that as, like, polling above 1%. Like, you know, to me, that's crazy how he's even pulled his pulled his weight all the way up to eight to nine percent. And to me, I think that's interesting because Ramaswamy is an unknown figure. He's an actual outsider. Like there is no other real outsiders in this race because everybody even knows who Chris Christie is, even though Chris Christie hasn't really been in politics for a while. But Ramaswamy is just like a random name. So to me, it's crazy. Plus, I love the fact that he's Indian. So, you know, it's cool that you got some Indian people, Indian representation in the Republican Party. Prateek, wait, More than the do, Democrats. You have a positive, do you have a positive perception of Ramaswamy's platform right now? Like, would you fa- yeah. rate him favorable, unfavorable, neutral? I would rate him favorable. I think he's better than some of these other options. I mean, I would rather vote for him than Mike Pence. Mike Pence is at seven. <laughs> I'm setting hope the bar Pence pretty low out. here. <laughs> I know. But then, like, Nikki Haley, I like a lot. Nikki Haley is probably one of my favorite candidates in the race. But Nikki Haley isn't pulling, you know, isn't pulling that same level of enthusiasm that Ramaswamy is pulling. And I do think Chris Christie is an idiot. Like, I do think Chris Christie is cool that he is, like, you know, the one that's attacking Trump and all this stuff. But Chris Christie has, like, the platform that he can talk about at least something that he's going to do. We have zero clue about what Chris Christie's presidency is going to look like. All we know is that he hates Trump. Like, that's not enough. Like, I think Ron DeSantis, as I said, has the opposite problem. That we know what he wants to do, but he hasn't been criticizing Trump at all. So we don't know how much different his presidency Mm -hmm. would be from Trump's. But I do think that with Ramaswamy, he has a different flair to him. He has a different flavor. He's like a tech entrepreneur. He has a different, you know, like perspective on different things. He's had opinions about different things. He hasn't really criticized Trump as much, but he hasn't really criticized anybody. He's just talking about what his platform is going to be. And I do think when DeSantis and Ramaswamy start attacking Trump, that's going to actually help them because the reason why they're number two and number three is because they have actually original ideas. These other people don't. Hence, they're not going anywhere. Original ideas is what wins you the presidency. Trump had original ideas. That's why he won in the 2015 primary. Forget about all the other stuff that Trump did. Like, that's the biggest thing. I, is I disagree. He was Trump won because Trump's the biggest personality and he can kick that's everyone's true too. butt when he's talking to them one-on-one. Like, you can't out-Trump the Trump in terms of, like, if you're attacking Trump, there's nothing yeah. you can do. Like, he's going to come at you harder than he, you're going to come at him. But someone like Ramaswamy, the reason he can do so well is, one, the youth factor. I think there is an appetite for that, as well yeah. as being an outsider and a businessman. You might actually be able to siphon some of those Trump votes because of those aspects, which, which is very interesting. And I think that's why he's gotten some popularity here. It's more of what he represents. He has been successful. I don't know if it was in the tech space. I thought it was more pharmaceuticals, like developing drugs, which, you know, could actually hurt him. Yeah, I know he there's is a, a big lot of disdain guy. for healthcare and pharmaceuticals and drug development, even though it's, you know, it's obviously something we need. I could see him being attacked on that front, but at the same time, he's he's like a Trump, but half the age, and I think that really connects with a lot of people who still want the outsider to come in and I guess smash the system, which I guess is what he kind of stands for at this point. You are right; it's not to do with tech. I was confusing him with far. I was thinking farm tech, but he's a pharmacist that he basically like created a, a pharmacist. Few drugs. Oh, he's a pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a no, he's a, he's a pharma pharmaceutical CEO, right? entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. Pharma bro. Yeah, pharma just like bro. Martin Shkreli, someone that everyone loves. Um, exactly. So I just wanted to say, so 
it's so funny, Pratik, that you said that Chris Christie has like zero substance in your opinion. In my opinion, Vivek Ramaswamy is probably the worst Republican candidate when it comes to actually having a platform. All the man does is virtue signal go on all these shows and just says th things that people want to hear that are very popular. He's like, oh, we have to eliminate the FBI. We have to end affirmative Sounds action. Like Trump. Like, okay, like literally on his website, one of the first issues he lists is end affirmative action, that he's going to do it. It's it's already it's already gone, right? So what, what are you running on here? <laughs> Another thing, he's like, well, he's oh, gonna we're going to raise gonna... the voting age? Come on, man. <laughs> he's like, oh. No, yeah, the, the voting age thing <laughs> is completely stupid, but it's good PR. It's good press. Exactly. I saw this article that, that on Politico that was saying that Ramaswamy is one of the best political uh, communicators and most savvy communicators in general with social media right below Donald Trump, which I totally agree with. Like if Trump wasn't in this, Vivek would be number one on this. But the thing is, every time I hear Vivek speak, I just think the man's a total idiot. And for his actual platform, like, you know, I, I think there are very few Republican candidates that I would personally consider voting for just based on what I care about. But when Vivek Ramaswamy, if he were to actually be the Republican nominee, you know, if it's Trump versus Biden or something else, I'll vote Biden, but like, I won't be excited about it. I would be excited to vote against Vivek Ramaswamy because I think his platform is so garbage, so lost in the past. And it's so strange to have someone so young running on a platform that says, you know what, everyone? We should just go back in time a couple decades. Everything was better in the past. And it's like, bro, you're 30 years old. What do you know about life in the past? You know nothing. And furthermore, like one of his other things, unleash the American economy. One, one sentence I think is hilarious. Abandon the climate cult and unshackle nuclear energy. Why do you think, Vivek, that people are promoting nuclear? It's not because of cost. It costs way too much money. It's very expensive. It's because of climate change. That's why nuclear energy is being promoted right now in this country. What's what's the I, anyway? So they're just very small things. And for example, coal. Like he, he says, like oh, we need to burn coal. Like what, that literally, for purely economic reasons, we are not doing that. So what is he going to do? Is he going to institute some government mandate saying, oh, natural gas is cheaper, but you can't burn that. Instead, we need to burn coal, even though it's more expensive. Like, that would just be complete idiocy. Like, his platform just doesn't make sense at face value. Yeah, but Trump, a lot of your criticisms could have been aimed at Trump in 2016, and he actually won the election. So to me, it's like, while that, you know, maybe doesn't make for the most sophisticated political platform, it's about getting people's votes at the end of the day. No, that's Tyler, what that's what for. I'm saying. And it's I a bunch of things that votes. people want to hear. It's a bunch of things that people want to hear. That's, but when you yeah, look into it, it, it's stupid. I, I would say <laughs> he wants to abolish the IRS. I think a lot of people and the FBI. That. And the <laughs> FBI. And the FBI. This is the thing. You come out with these and the Department of Education. I mean, come on. Like this dude, is you how know. you run a campaign. <laughs> how do you get? He would not be at eight percent in the polls right now if he were to you know ride ride a fine line and not have these outrageous ideas. That's he has true. them because they get. He's, these are clickbait. Just like when you have a clickbait article, um, this is clickbait attention. And what the reason they think he's so sophisticated is he, is because he's able to do that so well just like Trump is. But Trump has the platform. Trump's been around a lot longer, as you had mentioned. But also, youth does play a factor. At some point, at some level, I think people do care about the fact that we have this young, exciting guy basically taking uh, what Trump was and saying, here's a repackaged Trump vote for me. And it seems to be, you know, working. And I will say just one, one final thing before we move on to the next story is for Vivek, here are things that I actually think are positive and where he will stand out. So for Trump, one of his talking points will be secure the southern border. We need to build a wall. You know, the cartels are bad. 
but he doesn't he doesn't go far enough so for vivek he says what should we do we should use the united states military to annihilate mexican drug cartels it's like what are we going to invade mexico under vivek like what's yeah. the <laughs> and then but one thing that i actually do like about his platform because i just criticized him a bunch for being out of touch one thing i do like is there there's a certain flavor of foreign government buying u.s land that rubs me the wrong way so saudi arabia uh communist china if they buy u.s public lands if the government of saudi arabia buys u.s public lands which they've done if the government of china buys u.s public lands which they're doing i don't like that as an idea i think you know if it's if it's a country that we're friendly with i'm totally chill with that and i get that we have this free market economy and you know just because someone's a foreign state actor you know, they should still be allowed to participate just because we have a free society. But at the same time, like it, it is kind of like dystopian. For example, so many people have an issue with Bill Gates buying up all this farmland in Wyoming. If you apply that to the Chinese Communist Party, I actually do like that about Vivex, where he's like, we should stop CCP affiliates from buying American land. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Can you enforce that? Probably not. You but you might be able to enforce it. You could say security mm-hmm. concerns. You could say that it's a national security threat. And that's well, one thing I wanted to ask, because this is another story, but I'll just bring it up. So, I mean, I rated him. I called him the underrated originalist. So one of the biggest things about Ramaswamy, too, is he's like trying to have like a strong commitment towards an originalist views platform. So one thing that he said was like he would um, put Ted Cruz and Mike Lee as his top options for the Supreme Court pick if he was to be elected as the president. And one thing about that is he's like he focuses a lot on upholding an originalist interpretation of the Constitution. And he wants to address all these modern challenges to individual liberty, which he feels have been um, impacted by the courts doing whatever they want instead of upholding the originalist values of the Constitution. So do you think that stuff helps him or hurts him? Because obviously Ron DeSantis running is running on a similar platform. There's nothing really similar, different from that. Also, even if you were to bring in the number four option, Mike Pence, Mike Pence is probably nothing different from that either. So would Ramaswamy actually be able to win some of that crowd? Or do you think that he shouldn't even talk about the court stuff because it's probably not going to do him any favor or it's probably not going to impact his voting in any way? What do you think? Here's the problem. I feel like Trump has done something similar and he's put up justices that hold up more of an originalist interpretation. And because of that, it's going to be hard to beat Trump on that regard. So I don't think it's going to make much of a difference either way. Okay. Well, I think now let's move on to somebody that's not, um, you know, that thinks he's sophisticated. He's from a very sophisticated family, but he definitely doesn't sound sophisticated. So RFK, lead us on to him, Tyler. Hey, RFK, are you a racist? During a U.S. House hearing on government censorship, RFK faced accusations of promoting racist conspiracy theories. Despite calls to disinvite him over recent anti-Semitic remarks, he defended himself, emphasizing he's never been a racist or anti-Semite, but subjected to uh, narratives about being an anti-vacciner. So Democrats debated that free speech limits should be in place uh, against misinformation, otherwise it would lead to increased violence. What are your thoughts? So I think that RFK is still the second option because they don't have anybody else that has the balls to run in the Democratic Party against Biden. So I think that, I mean, whatever criticisms that he gets, it's fine. I don't really think an anti-vaxxer will ever become president in the United States. 
I also don't think that if you were to say anti-Semitic stuff or say racist stuff is going to benefit you in the Democratic side. But at the same time, there has been, you know, people in the past that have said anti-Semitic stuff, including people that are part of the part of the squad, especially Rashida Tlaib, that have said negative stuff about, you know, Jewish people. And that's just because they're um, because that's just their viewpoint. But I do think that in terms of all that stuff, I think the Democrats are never going to run this guy as their candidate anyway. I think he's just like a filler second option because they don't want any other second options to run. They're basically silencing anybody that wants to run in the Democratic Party because they do believe that Biden is the only chance they have to beat Trump. So I would rather just stick with that theory because, I mean, we don't really know. But it's crazy to me that RFK is literally the most like anti is like the non, most non-democratic candidate running in the Democratic side. And I don't even think that he'd get any Republican con- like, you know, like for support if he was to run as a Republican. He's just kind of like his own thing. So like, I don't really know much about, you know, what else to say. But I also think that RFK just has a lot of conspiracy theories and Democrats are just trying to silence all their conspiracy, all his conspiracy theories because it's going to make with them in a bad light because he's an option running for the Democrats. So I think it makes sense. But I just find it crazy that like out of all the Democrats that could have ran, they brought this guy who was like literally a conspiracy theorist running for president. Yeah, well, part of the problem is, like you said, they're going after him, I guess, for the conspiracy theorist front. Sure, he has a lot of crazy ideas, but if they have any contention against Biden, that's a huge issue for the Democrats. They're really good at silencing anyone that's not going to just go with whoever their pick is. They've done it before. They did it with Hillary Clinton. They're, they're doing it again with Biden. So I, RFK is a complete wrench in the Democrats' plan. So they're going to do anything they can, um, bad PR, um, talking as much crap as they can about him just to make sure that he doesn't stand a chance at all. And that's what I think is happening here. Is he anti-Semitic? I mean, I don't know. Um, I saw some of his comments. They don't sound great. I know he was talking about how, you know, maybe COVID was designed to, or the COVID vaccine was designed to work for certain groups, not for other, like some weird stuff going on there. Um, But at the same time, this is news because the Democrats know that he has popularity. There are people that actually do like RFK. Okay. And there is a great appetite for what they would call conspiracy theories. And that's connecting with the people right now. So I get why they're going after him. But in my head, I always have to think in the back of my mind, is it because they actually he's actually anti-Semitic and all that? Or is it because the Democrats just need him to, you know, take a knee, basically? Yeah, I mean, speaking of, I guess this is sort of reverse anti-Semitism in a way. Let's talk about Jesus. So is Jesus oh on Trump's side? So over the last eight years, Donald Trump has gained support from evangelical and conservative Christians. But now Ron DeSantis, the sanctimonious, as Trump would call him, is considered the front runner of the evangelical right. While some see him, Ron DeSantis, as a cultural warrior, others view him as an anointed leader. And despite criticism, Trump remains popular among evangelicals in Iowa, although some conservative figures have joined DeSantis and others distancing themselves from Trump. So Pratik and Tyler, do you think that with these two running, which way do you think the evangelical vote is going to swing? Are they going to favor DeSantis or are they going to favor Trump? I think that the evangelicals are probably going to favor DeSantis. I think that that's his main base. I think DeSantis's 20% is primarily made up of mostly socially conservative people. A lot of these other people that are in the percentage races that are anti-Trump are split between all the other options that I think will fall to DeSantis in the end. 
But I do think that Vrsantis is not going to win this vote because this is what all he talks about. His main focus is all on the woke stuff. I think that stuff, like, you know, strikes a chord with these, like, socially conservative people and the evangelical right. And I think that he just has some firepower that Trump doesn't have on this side because Trump, for all it's worth, doesn't really say much about the anti-woke stuff. He just kind of become the leader because, like, he's, like, has his old theories and he has his thoughts on, like, you know, trying to break up the government and just all this stuff about, like, you know, how it's political correctness. But Trump hasn't gone that far to the right to try to promote that side. And if anything, people that are really Christian, that are really religious, that are really like, oh man, we need to have a religious, socially conservative candidate running as a president, they were going to more likely swing DeSantis's way more than Trump. Because Ron DeSantis, for all it's worth, does like, you know, embody a lot of their beliefs and embody like that personality that they want. So I I, 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 I disagree in part. So I'm not saying that, you know, Ron DeSantis doesn't have socially conservative voters. But when I think about what they care about most, it is those Supreme Court seats. It is overturning, you know, Roe v. Wade. Those, so regardless of what Trump is talking about, he put in the justices that are making these legislative decisions that are or judicial decisions that are significantly benefiting those conservatives. So while I agree with you that they should go with DeSantis if they cared about someone embodying their ethical and moral values, it's kind of irrelevant because that all goes out the window when people are voting for their self-interest. And in this case, Trump was actually able to do which, what none of the other social conservatives were able to do. So he's actually true. like the most social conservative candidate in a way, despite the fact that he's having sex with porn stars, he has all these crazy <laughs> things coming up. But it's irrelevant. People actually don't care. They don't care, and that's kind they of like care about the uh, outcome. It's not definitely about the hypocritical. Engaging in the outcome, but and that's why it's kind of embarrassing to be a really social conservative Christian in this country when you guys are like voting for these people that you know are just complete pieces of shit. They're unscrupulous fig figures, but they get what you want. If the ends justify the means, then you pick Trump because he's going to get it done. He has gotten it done. Well, let me juxtapose this, for example, uh, and start. Well, first, we just have to acknowledge. So, a recent poll, or rather, this is back in April, so not super recent, but. Um, this is on 538.com, um, an Echelon Insights poll that 59% of white evangelical Protestants said that they support Trump over DeSantis, while 37% said that they'd support DeSantis. Um, and then there was a Pew Research poll, which I put a lot more uh, faith in, not a poll, but rather they just, uh, they ended up polling or surveying evangelical voters both after 2016 as well as after 2020 for both of the presidential races. Trump in 2020, um, won 84% of white evangelical votes. That's absolutely insane. After receiving 77% in 2016, as far or sorry, not winning, but just like his support. If you were to poll white evangelicals in this country, who do you support? Trump's support went up with them over time after he was in office. So I think he has a lot of goodwill going into it. And like Tyler was saying, even though Trump himself, for all of his personal misdoings, um, and misdeeds that evangelicals wouldn't like him for. DeSantis, you know, personally, you could see evangelicals preferring him, but just by virtue of being in office and actually winning and putting these people into place, I think Trump is going to win the evangelical vote again. And beyond that, if you kind of draw the comparison and juxtapose it with Biden and what was going on in the Democratic Party, like, would you say that I think Cory Booker was running last time and a few other people? Do you think that most black Americans would end up voting for Cory Booker or Joe Biden? They're not voting for Joe Biden because like, oh, my God, he 
he really gets what it's like to live in the United States as a black person. Like, no, that's that's not it. Cory Booker would have a way better grip on that. But when Clyburn endorsed Biden at the fish fry event, I think it's South Carolina. I think that's a state where that happens every every uh, every time. Um, black women put Joe Biden in office when you had Super Tuesday. I think it was Super Tuesday when everyone ended up voting. And after that, pretty much everyone was kind of dropping out and coalescing around him. And then from that point on, it was really Biden versus Bernie Sanders. But without that event, without the black vote, Joe Biden would have lost the primary process and he wouldn't be president today. But again, it's like taking that goodwill from his time as VP of Barack Obama and pushing it through to win the black vote is why Joe Biden won. Or that's a big reason why he won. And so for Trump, even though he's not an explicit like evangelical and doesn't espouse all the ideals of evangelicism, you know, I still think he's going to win just because he has the momentum and he has the history of already supporting what those folks want to see in their politicians. Well said. And with that, let's move on to DeSantis. So DeSantis shotguns Bud Light. The number two Republican, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, is initiating an inquiry into Bud Light's parent company, AB InBev, due to their partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. DeSantis believes the collaboration prioritized a social agenda over shareholder interests, potentially leading to a, der a derivative lawsuit. Sales of Bud Light reportedly ending May 13th sank 28.4% after conservative backlash to the campaign. So another instance of DeSantis being a culture warrior. I mean, this is just, it's so silly in the grand scheme of things, of all the things to focus on, to focus on this. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on, on, on this situation? I like it. I think this is what DeSantis needs to keep doing because oh this is how he's going to boost up his polling numbers in the long term. I think Ron DeSantis I is I thought he was two. for business, man. I thought you were all about business. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm supporting Trump over Ron DeSantis. But my point is, is that when it comes to Ron DeSantis, I think RDS has a flavor about him. This stuff is what benefits him. He has a 20%. He needs to stay in there for the long call because he has more money, almost as much money as Trump does in terms of fundraising. I think there's no other real options that can stay in there for the long call as long as Ron DeSantis can. So Ron DeSantis just has to keep doing what he does. I think the problem with Ron DeSantis is just he needs to criticize Trump more. But all of this stuff, this stuff does like, you know, highlight him in some way. I think when you deal with any of these issues, whether it's Bud Light, whether it's Target, any of these like, you know, North Face, any of these big companies doing all this ESG stuff, this stuff benefits Ron DeSantis because it gives him something to talk about. And I think Ron DeSantis just needs to keep firing and doing what he does best, but this is what his firepower revolves around. He needs to take all these cultural issues and highlight them. He needs to keep doing that because that's why he's 20%. I think whenever Ron DeSantis starts, you know, coming into the debate stage and starts talking about what his other plans are and what he wants to do and how he's going to make the country better and all this other stuff and how he's going to be better than Biden, I think that's going to push him around 30% of the vote. I think the main issue is just that you have to see what happens to what happens to Ron DeSantis's campaign once Iowa caucus takes place because I have a strong feeling that Ron DeSantis will probably win Iowa. And if Ron DeSantis wins Iowa, he's going to see some momentum boost because you're going to have all these other random Tom, Dick and Harry's that have less than 2% of the vote, which is like a lot of the candidates because they only have like some 18 candidates I think at the moment. They're going to all eventually drop out. 
So whenever that happens, he's going to see some pushes in terms of the polling data. And I think some of the people like Chris Christie will eventually, whenever he drops out, they're going to fall to Ron DeSantis too. So Ron DeSantis just needs to do what he does best, continue all this cultural warrior like you know stuff that he's doing. Because I think in the long haul, Ron DeSantis just needs to position himself as the number two candidate. And at the moment, he's solidly the number two candidate. He's just way behind Trump because Trump is still trumping everybody by a mile. But Ron DeSantis just needs to just make sure that he maintains his number two spot and doesn't fall behind people like Ramaswamy that is coming up in the polls. Nick, you got any thoughts on, you know, RDS, the man of the, with the plan? Who cares about Ron DeSantis at this point? I think he squandered his lead. <laughs> you know, he's old news at this point. And if he comes up during the debates, great. But until that time, until his campaign actually decides to spend money again and do things, who cares about him? He's just going to sit there and be quiet. He just has to talk badly about Trump. That's what he has to do. He has to grow some balls and actually say something. Otherwise, who cares? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but he won't. But anyways, let's move on to our next favorite person. The Biden, uh, Hunter Biden. Yeah, so the story is called One Coked Up Investigation. So, so get this. The Secret Service finished their investigation on that White House cocaine discovery. But guess what? They couldn't find a single fingerprint or enough DNA to solve that case. Talk about a mystery, right? Maybe they could call Sherlock Holmes next time. Or better yet, Scooby-Doo and the gang. Zoinks. So, <laughs> what's your thoughts on this cocaine investigation? Well, here's the deal. Like, I, I think we all understand people do drugs, right? Um, at the highest level, people do drugs. At the lowest level, people do drugs. People do drugs everywhere. The, the thing that stands out here is the hypocrisy. Clearly, there is someone here in the White House doing these drugs, and there are no, you know, there, there, there is no consequences for the actions of actually bringing in drugs into the White House. It's supposed to be the most secure building in the world. It's the most important building in our country, and yet we can't prevent drugs from getting in there. But to me, I mean, honestly, in my case, I would just prefer that drugs maybe become decriminalized across the board and we can handle this whole drug problem better. But at the same time, in this case, it really is the hypocrisy that sticks with people. They can get away with whatever they want. But if you're a regular person, average Joe, and there's cocaine on you, guess what? You're probably going to prison. And that's not fair. And I don't think people like that. It's not a good look. Everyone's just going to say it was Hunter Biden because we know he has a history of doing drugs. But it doesn't matter who it was. It could have been the chief of staff. It could have just been some random person in the building. No one knows. But at the same time, it's going to be laid on Hunter Biden. And that could stick with them, could affect them in a very small amount um, heading into these this presidential. Small election. amount of cocaine, Tyler. Small amount. It's all it takes, man. It's all you need, really. It's all you need more, I guess. Yeah, I think it's funny that it's uh, 007. 0.007 of an ounce um <laughs> where it's like you're sneaking it into the white house and you know you've got the james bond stuff but um i reading about it the fact that it would only be a misdemeanor in dc like i i keep seeing all this stuff about it's mostly marjorie taylor green you know i don't like her but she'll end up posting stuff like oh the fact that they're not interviewing all 500 staff and visitors that were in the white house that day speaks to that the fact that it's a cover-up and yet when the Secret Service is asked about it, they're like, this is a misdemeanor. It's so little that like, is it worth 
spending all this money just for a misdemeanor. Oh, and honestly, me, I would say no. It is the White House. Dude, that's right? bullshit. No. They could figure out who... F- they have cameras every they fucking do. square inch of that building. You can't tell me they can't see whose pocket it fell out of. They don't have footage to show where it came from. That's absolutely fucking ridiculous. And the line of, oh, it's too little to care. It's not too little to care when you pick up some guy in the street that you're trying to take away. And th- so th- in this case, it was around two grams. If that happens to a regular person, they're getting screwed over. But but in this case, that's just not true though, this Tyler. person could stand in DC, to take a huge hit. Like decriminalization and enforcement of drug possession in DC is like the weakest in the entire country. Like no one cares Even in then, this city. Though, so I, wait, I agree wait, with this, you, but also not, like in DC itself, if this was a random person on the street, no one would care. If this were, uh, but if this were Republicans, I, I actually think it wouldn't have gone this way. I think they would have. I think they would have like, found like, it. Like Democrats, yeah. I think they would have found it. But that to me, that means it was a cover up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, and, it's hard for me to see any other way. Personally. And I think Nick has a point about DC, but at the same time, like this is the White House, yep. this is a presidency. This is like this isn't just represent DC; it represents the whole country. Mm-hmm. And most of our country is not like gonna decriminalize cocaine anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You got pockets like DC that will, which that's a fair argument. But at the same time, like it happened in the White House. The White House just doesn't just belong to DC. That's mm-hmm basically the home of the residence of the president for the whole country yeah so i know i, I agreed with you i said the criticism. same thing critique like this is the white house yeah, it's I different agree. but i'm just saying like yeah. in general does this really matter like is this a huge security breach no but at the same time it is the white house and you should find out but you should could still figure out who it? did it with yes they with what tyler it. was saying though they probably could have found it and i would argue that if this happened to be donald trump his presidency and this stuff was happening you would have the same people that are trying to cover it up oh, making Trump this kids like the biggest story of all time this would be like a front page news headline story we've only heard about this cocaine stuff literally for like two days and it kind of got washed out but if this was the trump presidency this would be the front page of the new york times headline story for the next two weeks this is all they would be talking about it'd be like dude they found cocaine in the white house did trump do it did some trump's chief of staff do it did trump's son do it what is going on this is an outrage we need to get behind this now and they would have had like some investigations that would have taken place for four years because that's what they loved to do when it was the trump inv- trump presidency. it's probably a but staff now, member like it's probably a yeah, staff but member. Whoever it is, it but, but even so, house. even if it's a staff member, it doesn't mean No, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying yeah. it probably is a staff member that they're covering it up. I, I think actually, if it was a random person, right. then they would have said who right. it was. Um, but I did, by the way, did we Maybe. ever find out who the Supreme Court leaker was? I remember they kept like narrowing it down to a couple people, but I don't think they ever said who formally leaked the uh, Roe versus Wade overturning opinion uh, before it came out. Because I don't know, like these are places with very tight security with. You know, I don't know. Like, well, it, yeah. Um, but to your know. point, the Supreme Court like doesn't have cameras around the leaking, right? You could do that offsite, whereas this yeah. is actually in the White House, and yeah, this is one of the most surveilled places in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, someone's ass is being saved right oh, now. Oh, for sure. I guess, yeah. I, and I guess it's just a bad look for the yeah, Biden. Imagine it's being yeah. Biden though. That would be it's crazy. Not Biden. Yeah. Dude, imagine, yeah, Biden has to go himself Biden. up to oh be able God. to, like, you know, stand I, up on stage. I do think they, the best I do the think they did release yeah. something saying that he was out of town that weekend. But um, even so, if it's a staffer, yeah, like, that town. really doesn't. That, <laughs> no, but even if it's a staffer, that still doesn't look good for the administration. It's like, oh, you're employing people who are coked up at work? Like, what are you doing? So. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of them are probably doing it. But hey, regardless, let's move on to our next story here. So what do we got? Uh, Nick, 
take us abroad. All right, so Iraq takes out Sweden in Baghdad. So protesters in Baghdad reacted strongly to an incident involving an Iraqi asylum seeker burning the Quran in Stockholm. Outrage spread, leading to the storming of the Swedish embassy and a small fire. Iraq's prime minister severed diplomatic ties with Sweden, suspending a Swedish communication company's license. Escalation persists. Pratik, what are your thoughts on this one? So I think it's kind of crazy that, all right, so there's an Iraqi asylum seeker. So it's basically someone leaving Iraq. It's probably something like a refugee because it's an asylum seeker coming to Sweden. And basically the Swedish embassy is not allowing him access to enter into the country. They don't want him to give him all the rights that, they, that he thinks he deserves. So into protest and be angry with the Swedish government, he decides to burn his own holy book, the Quran. And with that, the, there was like this big outrage that spread. And then in Iraq, like the Iraqis all basically stormed the Swedish embassy and they severed all ties with Sweden. Um, but it's kind of a random story because it has nothing to do with the Swedish government. This has to do with an individual that left Iraq because he didn't want to stay in Iraq that came to Sweden as a refugee that decided to burn the Quran just for publicity. And that led to Swedish and Iraqi relationships all literally falling into flames. I just think that it's kind of a weird story because Sweden themselves haven't done anything to cause their like, you know, hatred that Iraq is providing to them. But it's like it literally all happened because Iraq has a terrible like, you know, human rights record. They have situations going on in Iraq, which led somebody to leave their country to go to Sweden and engage in all these antics. So it is a weird situation. It doesn't have there's doesn't nothing that like Sweden did something. So Iraq retaliated. It's like dealing with an Iraqi citizen that has gone to Sweden doing something. So Iraq basically retaliated against Sweden. Which the, the whole storyline narrative makes zero sense, but it's just Iraqis just wanted to be angry about something, so they got angry at the Swedish, and now there's no ties anymore. Well, it makes sense in a sense. I mean, in Islam, there's something called apostasy. Apostasy is if you leave Islam, in the Hadith, it says that you should be killed. So they're pretty hardcore about that. And, you know, in the Middle East, there are a lot of theocracies, if not explicitly, then implicitly. So in this case, when someone that was a member of their community and left the religion is burning the Quran, well, they feel justified in doing whatever they can to attack that person. That's just part of their religion. So to me, I don't know. It's obviously it's not like a good issue to talk about, but it makes sense on the religious front if you are a religious fundamentalist. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... Look, I'm still more interested in the cocaine story, frankly. I mean, Sweden, look, yeah. <laughs> Sweden, like, there's a there's a bunch of stuff there. Um, but it, it is interesting. It's like, when has the United States severed diplomatic relations? Or do you think, I don't know, if someone did that in the United States... We're not a theocracy. It, yeah. what are we gonna, we're not going to go after someone for burning no, no, a no, book. No, no, I'm saying I mean, the reverse. A... The reverse. Like, if someone did this in the U.S., would that country... Like, for example, if Saudi Arabia had someone who fled the country, moved to the United States, and then burned the Quran, you know, would the same thing be going on? No, I don't think so. I think part of it is, like, Iraq and Sweden, like, they, they have no, like, real material interests here. It's like, sure, the two countries, like, it would be nice if they talked to each other. That would be a good idea. But as far as, like, big geopolitical impacts, like, th this is very light. Wait, it reminds me of the Charlie Hebdo situation a little bit, mm -hmm. but on, like, on, like, the... the 
like the national level. But I will say in Sweden, like 10% of the population is Muslim. It's really? Like a completely complete. Yeah. They had a lot of, especially migrants coming over. Remember during the, the migrant crisis or crisis or whatever. So that is the case. They actually have a growing Muslim community. They've had a few issues there, mm-hmm. which also might be why, but I mean, I can't speak too much to that. I only know so much. 10% Tyler. I feel like that's way too high. You're telling me one out of every 10 Swedes is Muslim. That is way too high, dude. At least 8% but is what I'm reading. Is, yeah. What is interesting though, is like if the same situation was to happen in America because you can have an Iraqi refugee come to the United States if the Iraqi refugee decided to burn the Quran in America I wonder if there would be an Iraq 2.0 war like it could be because there's not like not like Sweden was like yo guy go burn the Quran it was just some random dude that decided to burn the Quran in Sweden so like this could happen where anybody, this could be some Saudi person coming to America and burning the Quran. Well, that means that Saudi Arabia will start, you know, going to war with America, apparently, because that's the combination. China actually does this with Chinese nationals across the world. There are there have been many instances of, you know, these Chinese ambassadors, for instance, going after foreign uh, Chinese citizens for taking certain actions. This has happened in the U.S. Well, it's happened in Europe. It's happened all over the world. too. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is, like, this actually does happen with other countries. I I guess this isn't the only case, because I know China is really hardcore about locking down their citizens, whether they're domestic or abroad. That's actually one story that I had um, that can bring up here. It's called a Chinese disappearance. So there was a China's foreign minister, Quinn Gong, has been missing from the public eye for three weeks, causing speculation in a country in the country known for political opacity. So basically, this guy's a career diplomat that um, basically said a bunch of critic said a bunch of crap about America whenever um, Anthony Blinken came to China, and he's basically been made to disappear for the last three weeks. So that's basically what Tyler's been referring to: is that this does this stuff does happen where China does take actions and they just make people disappear. Yeah, I find it crazy. It is pretty crazy, but let, let's move on here to something else that's not not very uh, uplifting, but something important to talk about. So, Nick? It's pretty crazy. All right, so recharged and fueled by slavery. The rechargeable batteries that power our smartphones, computers, and electric vehicles often rely on cobalt mined in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is a bit of a disnomer. Uh, misnomer, but the DRC, where workers endure slave-like conditions, uh, the mining industry there has devastated the country's landscape, caused environmental contamination and health risks. There's a lot of concerns over, you know, children being forced to work in these artisanal mines. Artisanal just meaning like there's no huge mechanical processes. There's no heavy machinery. It's mining by hand. Um, kind of a twisted way of saying, you know, children in slave-like conditions being forced to mine rocks uh, is to say artisanal mining. But uh, so many activists emphasize the need to fix the supply chain rather than abandon it altogether. But it's tough going. So Pratik and Tyler, what are your thoughts on this, especially since, you know, the way we're communicating right now relies in part on some of this mining? So you, you've all heard my theory about trade is that whenever we trade with a country that engages in bad labor practices, by doing that, you are incentivizing them to continue their bad labor practices because they're profiting from it. So this is why I always argue is that even when we deal with certain countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran, I'd have the same argument with the DRC is that if we are all of our smartphones, electric vehicles, computers, a lot of their batteries, if they're coming from the Congo, we should do whatever we can to try to improve their labor 
labor conditions. And if we can't improve their labor conditions by threatening, you know, certain types of trade negotiations to make them change, then we should try to do whatever we can to make that stuff in-house or go to other allied countries and tell them to make it. Because I think that in the main situation here is the only way you can ever change conditions and make countries adapt to a different way of like, you know, different way of engaging in business is by you know, retaliating against that country. Congo relies a lot on the United States and other Western powers to buy their products. And that's how they make money. So if America was to force some kind of trade negotiation or look at other countries to provide or if they can even do this stuff in house, then this could potentially change the entire conditions in Congo and how they treat their labor can you know how they treat their workers. And I think that's the only way you can ever make this change. Otherwise, there's never going to do anything about it. This situation is going to persist and we're going to continue to have, you know, our phones powered by slave labor. Well, here's the issue the with that. States. These are this is some of the most important materials for our modern age for the products that we all use. And the DRC accounts for roughly 70 percent of the global production of cobalt. So just to say you don't give us you don't have fair working conditions. We're not going to trade with you is very difficult when this is such that a is necessity. It's almost a national it is a national security concern if we're not able to actually collect these resources. So I agree with you and we should take all the steps we can to improve the conditions. But at the same time, it's not as easy as saying, oh, because you're not abiding by labor practices we uh, we we are okay with, then we can't trade with you. you so know what I'll there tell has you to though? be some other solution. You know what I'll tell you? Trump would do something. I don't know about Biden. He didn't. But this would no, be a Trump. Trump would, would show up no, no, to no, the Bidens no, no. do it. Be free, wait, my wait, wait, children. Whether whether or not whether or not <laughs> whether or not like, you know, if Trump comes into power, if he actually does something, he would talk he, about No, this. he didn't. Pratik, he's a, or, he Trump, was already in office. Trump he already maybe, had a chance. Nothing changed. That's fair. But maybe it wasn't in the limelight. Now it's in the limelight. Nobody really thinks about the Congo. Pratik, if you go talk to anyone, they're almost certainly not going to have heard a story about this. Like, this has been an issue for years. I don't ever think it's been actually highlighted on the national stage. Whenever, I think people no, have heard about it. Get highlighted, but see, when things get highlighted on the national change, that's when change happens. So I think that... If anything, Biden's administration should capitalize on this because there is other ways around it. If there's other places that you can mine cobalt, which I don't know about the whole cobalt industry, but if there's other countries, if there's some South American countries that can mine cobalt, America will, should do something about it so then they can change some things. This is the main things about trade is that whenever even Trump came into office, this was some of the stuff that he was talking about is that we need to improve like, you know, our trading negotiations with other countries because they're like using us for their means. And I think obviously we can interpret that in any way we want to interpret it. But I think when it deals with this kind of stuff, whenever you trade with a country that is actually a bad country engaging in bad practices by continuing to trade with them, well, you're continuing to cont persist on the same problems that you have. And maybe you can negotiate. Maybe there's nothing you can do, but at least you should talk about it with that country in the beginning. So apparently Idaho, from what Tyler's telling me, is another cobalt mine that we can have in the United but States. But it's not going to produce enough. We need, they don't the, have enough. We need the, the Boise State to <laughs> oh do something. God. That's what but I'm saying. this is saying. the problem. Like, I, I, it seems like, as far as I could tell, just nowhere else on Earth has the concentration of cobalt that they do in the DRC. And also, the DRC is benefiting greatly from this. And they're taking advantage of the fact that they have this resource that literally everyone needs. 
All right, one sec. I just have to correct the record on some stuff. Okay, so number oh, one shit. for Cobalt. Um, we can use LFP batteries instead. It's a technology that was invented in the United States. Unfortunately, they didn't have sufficient capitalization. They ended up selling the technology over to a Chinese firm. And now China makes a bunch of LFP batteries for their cars. It doesn't require any Cobalt. The issue is that it's less energy dense. And so that's why Cobalt is used in a lot of these things. Um, so you'll have nickel, cobalt, but you'll have nickel, other other things as well. So you know we're still going to need nickel. We're still going to need a lot of these mineral, a lot of these materials that they come from all sorts of different countries. For example, we get a lot of stuff from Russia. We get a lot of stuff from countries that we don't we don't really particularly like, but there is the trade there. As far as the United States, we're not going to be able to produce all this stuff on our own. However, just like the cobalt thing, we don't. We don't really need it. Like if you needed to cut it out 100% and take a moral stance, yeah, you could cut it out. But practically speaking, it's a worse product at this point in time. And so that's why we use a lot of the cobalt. Um, one of the other things, Pratik said the United States could end up pressuring the DRC to change their practices. No, I don't think they would. So the DRC, yes, in terms of cobalt reserves, the DRC is the largest. But where is it refined? Where is cobalt turned from its raw form into actual products that we end up using? China. It's like 80% of the world's cobalt refining is going on in China. Same thing with all these other critical minerals. It's going on in China. They have the supply chains for it. They've already invested in all the EV stuff. They're way ahead of the game on this stuff. If the United States, you know, it, it, it's so funny, like some of this could have been happening in the US uh, if we had gone a different route decades ago but we didn't we doubled down on fossil fuels and for good reason there's plenty of fossil fuel reserves in the United States it made sense to do at the time but as far as you know what would actually move the needle if china decided oh the drc needs to be more responsible about this stuff we've all heard the stories of china's influence in africa how they have all these countries buy the balls in debt how they build these ports and then basically say look we own these things and you have to pay us off over a long period of time. And meanwhile, all these Chinese fishing fleets are illegally fishing off the African waters. And it, it's a whole it's a whole mess, right? It's this whole game that's being played on Africa right now. A lot of it is China. The United States is sort of forming this counterbalancing thing. But because of the history of colonialism and slavery and all that stuff, you know, China is seen as more of, you know, open an open partner, as well as the fact that China doesn't have the same rules that it comes in with. Like Pratik was saying, when the U.S. trades with someone, we have all these norms that we expect them to follow. It's like, OK, you know, maybe don't oppress women. That would be nice. China comes in. Do they care about that? No, they don't. So it's a lot easier to get um, to do trade with China. And also, if you're getting financing to actually build out these projects, because you need a lot of capital for some of these industries, if you actually want to build this and take it beyond artisanal mining, for instance, and you want Chinese money, they don't have as many strings attached for the loans. And so that's why it's not just the trade, but it's more so the loans to actually get these projects built. You know, that's why China is seen as such a big partner and why China is more influential in Africa than the United States will be. And so for the DRC changing, I just don't think that's going to happen. But anyway, that was my soapbox there a little bit to say, like, yes, we should care about it a lot. Two, can the United States do that much? No. But three, there are technological alternatives like LFP batteries. Yeah, but we would have to change our entire infrastructure to adopt those batteries, correct? Like all the cars would have to change and all. all well, what that. do you mean by all the cars? I mean, the, like the current. We don't make you know, that many to begin of... with. OK. And so also Tesla and the others are already moving towards other battery chemistries anyway. So, you know, it's just going to happen over time. So you don't really think it's even it's that crucial to the development of these technologies? I think in the next 10 years, it's crucial beyond 10 years. Once we do have alternative chemistries that end up performing better, 
I, I don't think it'll be like that pivotal. For example, we're still going to need lithium. Like there, there are certain like truths of the periodic table where you're just going to rely on certain elements, right? Like, I don't think we're going to get around lithium, but as far as, you know, the cobalt side of it, because you need the anode and the cathode, they're both used in different parts of it. You know, if you end up swapping out the cobalt for something else, again, it's not the most efficient thing right now, but I I'm just saying that like, if we really needed to, if we really wanted to take this moral stance and say, no, we can't have any child slavery or child labor going on in the DRC, we won't source anything from there. Um, I think we could do it. It would just take some time. Okay. It would take time, and I'm not sure that we would be willing to take that stance. But with that, let's talk about aliens. What's going on with aliens? So aliens are in the house. Rep Tim Burchett revealed uh, to the uh, House Oversight Committee that uh, they plan to hold a hearing on unidentified aerial phenomena, commonly referred to as UAPs or as they used to be referred to UFOs, uh, next week. During the conference, Burchett uh, shared three witnesses. Two of the witnesses, David Fravor, a former Navy commander, and Ryan Graves, a former Navy pilot, asserted they've encountered UAPs. The third witness, David Grush, a former U.S. intelligence official, alleges the U.S. possesses non-human origin vehicles. Um, everyone that's actually been briefed on the subject is kind of in shock, like, oh, what's going on here? But publicly, we really don't have much information yet. Look, this could go a million different ways. Are aliens real or not? Who knows? But the government is saying that they might be. What are you guys' thoughts? Uh-oh, the aliens have hacked our system and, and no one Sorry. can speak because they don't want us to <laughs> disclose their operations on this planet. Oh, my God. Um, I think the main thing um, with this is that I think it's crazy if there is alien life, if there is life on Mars, that would change up our entire world. Everything that we see and hold dear in our world today will be somehow changed in some way because aliens or there is like another form or species in the world. I think the way we look at the world, the way we analyze the world, the way most religions perceive the world, everything could change if they are aliens. So I think this could be one of the most shocking and if not the most trend, you know, most like revolutionary stories of our lifetime. If they're if they do find aliens and they do find extraterrestrial life in Mars. And I think that's the main story here is just that this would shake up our entire world and shake up how we do everything. And in the future, like we can you might even have space travel where, you know, people might go from Mars to the Earth or Earth to Mars. And you might have like more communication and there might be different things that happen. But this would change up our entire lives and change up everything that happens in our world. So I do think that this is a very important story. Obviously, whenever people think of aliens, we think of all these sci fi movies and we think of like all these green weirdo things that are like moving around but we don't really know much about aliens aliens could be looked just like we do aliens could look very different if anything if aliens were to live on mars what could happen is maybe they live under the planet they may not live on top of the planet because we haven't really seen much going on on top of the surface of the planet so maybe there's stuff going on underground we don't know much about this, but I do think that this is a very fascinating story if we do find out about aliens. And I do think that this would change our entire world if we find out that there is extraterrestrial life on Mars. Let me just uh, clarify one thing. It's not specifically about Mars. Actually, these UAPs are on Earth, so they're not saying that oh, Martians are here necessarily. That's um, true. And I actually think it's probably unlikely the case it would be Martians. I mean, no one... Obviously, we really have no idea. Um, I just wanted to clear that up for people. But it certainly will 
affect the ec uh, existential condition of everyone to know that we wouldn't be the only people here on Earth. And this has been a conversation that's like you would be deemed crazy for talking about. But now the government's somewhat verifying it, validating it in a way, which is weird. Um, I personally don't really know what to think. I mean, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned like the center of the Earth thing. Remember um, Baron Trump's marvelous underground journey where we were talking about how, you know, in, in the year 2000, there would be this president and his son Baron would travel to the center of the hollow earth and, and you know what's funny donald trump's <laughs> son is barren and he's going to the dude, hollow earth baby dude donald trump might become president again you never know look but speaking of the last well story, hold on let's get let's get nick i need i need nick's commentary on this he's a lot to say about cobalt and batteries but what about aliens nick tell me about aliens i think it would be chill you know yeah. i could uh i could go for some intergalactic cuisine one of these days you know, always what open if it's to human. <laughs> I don't know how that would end up going. Could, could you imagine? It's it's like, um, oh my god, what's the what's the we're movie? like a delicacy where, for example, like if there are just these like this hyper advanced race of humans that exist on the planet, but they have like extreme cloaking technology and they just like live in the upper atmosphere for some reason. I I, I don't know how it would work, right? But you know, I, I just think that would be a fun idea. Or like, let's say a bunch of, you know, you know, all those cults where they say like, oh, man, you know, we had a big cult and they all drank the, the wine together and they died and it was a mass suicide event. What if they actually ascended? What if they actually became higher beings, higher levels of existence and then created these sick vehicles that have been just flying Dude, around? They're the Buddhists. <laughs> yeah, the Buddhists. What if it's just Buddhists? What if it's yeah. not even uh, unidentified aircraft? What if it's unidentified spiritual, you know, people? People are like astral projecting into the sky and we caught it on camera. Dude, we need yeah. some Jawas, man. This is what oh, I hope man. that, you know, in Star Wars, you have the Jawas. That's what we need, man. I want the Jawas the are scavengers. To look literally like Jawas. <laughs> the Jawas like, are dude, literally scavengers awesome. in the desert, dude. And then yeah. they wear their anything. orange stuff like all day. Like, it's just, <laughs> you need something like that. That'd be so cool. Then it would make me feel taller. <laughs> the moral of the story is things are far stranger than they appear, and we have no idea what's going on. But the development should be interesting. And yeah, let's move on to our final story. Speaking of things that are far stranger that, than, than what it seems to be. Carrie Lake thinks Hillary Clinton will kill her. Former Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake alluded to Hillary Clinton in a recent interview, seeming to imply that she was worried that Hillary wants to kill her when the former first lady and Democratic presidential candidate mentioned her during the 2022 presidential cycle. Um, the conservative Lake lost to current Arizona tw Democratic governor Katie Hobbs last November by a slim 17,000 vote margin of victory. And she has etched her name into Nick's most hated list. So I wanted to talk to Nick about this. What are your thoughts on Carrie Lake and about her thinking Hillary Clinton's going to murder her? Um, oh gosh. I, look, Carrie Lake, I want to joke and say it would be no great loss to society. But honestly, like, for, I would never condone anything like that. Carrie Lake should be allowed to live a very nice, happy life. I wish she wouldn't spew such nonsense all the time, but, you know, she's free to do it. I would never stop her from doing that. Um, the whole conspiracy stuff that, stuff that I talked about, well, for Vivek, where he's kind of this anti, you know, oh, look at me, I'm virtue signaling, where he's like anti-virtue signaling as a virtue signal, um, you know, or being anti-woke as a virtue signal, I think. Um, for Carrie Lake, it's it's a similar thing. It's so strange to have someone that runs on a platform of, 
there's political fraud, there's persecution, and before the election even happens, you're saying there will be fraud, everything is rigged, nothing is going to work out, and then when you lose, you just say, oh, look, it was just like I was predicting. It was all rigged. It's it's all a mess. And the thing is, like, for Carrie Lake, I, I genuinely wonder what she would have said if she won. I think she would have been like, look, even though it's rigged, even though the deep state controls the United States, the people still have a voice and we can overcome. <laughs> She's going to be like a new MLK or something. Like, she just thinks way too highly of herself. I don't know. I hate self-absorbed people and I hate people that think, like, they're they're somehow anointed to lead some revolution in the country. Like, you know, a, a guy who did that, it was the guy who said he was Jesus' younger brother in China, like, 100 years ago or whatever with the Taiping Rebellion, okay? That guy, that guy I could get behind. But Carrie Lake... You're not Jesus's younger brother, okay? This isn't happening here. So I just don't particularly like her. And the fact that she keeps losing and then playing it up as a grand conspiracy theory. Like, I think it's popular for QAnon supporters to say, oh, wow, there's this huge conspiracy involving Epstein, Clinton, like all these all these global shadow elites that are controlling everything. But I think, like, realistically, is Hillary Clinton going to murder Carrie Lake? No. So... I just don't know. Like it's it starts off as being funny, and then after a while, it just gets annoying. I, I thought that this story was really stupid because it just—I was just like, man, why would killer Hillary Clinton go out of her way to murder this random person? But hey, some people go out of their way to murder murder random people. That's what people do that are murderers. So tell her. You can there, well, there, there you have it uh, with <laughs> Carrie Lake. Uh, hopefully, not getting murdered. Um, so yeah, that's episode 140 of Politicana. Covered a lot of good topics today. Please follow. Please share the podcast. We're here every week. We appreciate you all, and hope you have a great day. Take care. And if you're an alien, I hope to see you on the next episode of. If Pit you're My an Ride. alien and you listen to us, God bless. <laughs>